welcome to the Escape Velocity podcast presented by Modern Wordshop. This is the show for aspiring career changers where we explore how to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you're looking for inspiration to tackle a new career, pick up a new hobby, or just choose to show up to the world in a more authentic and meaningful way, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Kevin Sawyer. often reflect that changes in growth within ourselves, within our skill set, within our passion, within our perspective as we grow as a human being. And so if we can stop seeing careers as just a, me- a means to an end and start seeing careers as an expression of our growth and our journey and just have more grace and allow ourselves to explore, I think we'd be a little bit happier. So this is episode three of the Escape Velocity podcast, and I'm here with a special guest, Blair Jenkins. So Blair, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, Blair, you and I met um, in your current position, obviously, Director of Student Ministry at Grace Chapel Foxborough. Yes. Um, walk me backwards in time, chronologically, through some of the various lives that you've had, um, cats-like, in the last <laughs> you know, decade or so of, of your life. So I think maybe it's maybe it's more helpful for me to start kind of at the beginning and then and then move ourselves to the somewhat present um, or to the moment that you're talking about. But when I was a kid, I had a lot of different ideas, and it, it was usually and like what I wanted to do, and it was usually based on whatever TV show I was watching at the time. So um, I think you know my my brother and I we watched a lot of TV Land, which if you're not familiar with TV Land, it was I think it, I think it's no longer a network, but it, it kind of showcased all of the older shows that my parents and grandparents would have watched, and so we watched a lot of Taxi. So I wanted to be a taxi driver at one point. I watched a lot of the A-team, so I wanted to be in the military at one point, and then go rogue. Um, watched a lot of Emergency and Adam-12, which was a one was a paramedic show, and the other one was a law enforcement show. And, and so, yeah, that was all really thrilling to me. So I wanted to be—I told my mom when I was little, after she shot down my taxi driver idea— um, I wanted to be a police officer and she looked at me square in the face and she said, no, so I guess I can't do that then. Okay. Um, my, my best friend took me to, um, a Christian camp. So that just happened to be the year before I went into sixth grade. And so I started going to youth group, which was basically just like church for teenagers. And I really loved that. My youth pastor, um, I really liked my youth pastor cause he made Jesus seem human and real. And, um, even though he was, you know, still God and and perfect, he was also funny and relatable and very, very interesting to me. So, um, I loved youth group and, uh, I had a lot of fun there. A lot of good friends there, learned a lot about myself there, learned, continued to learn more about God there. Um, and when I was in eighth grade, I remember I came home from a uh, winter retreat. So we had gone away for the weekend to New Hampshire and had a blast. And I came home, it was January and it was Sunday night and I was wrapped up in a blanket 
the TV was on, but I wasn't really watching it because I was kind of thinking about the weekend and my mom was in the kitchen. Uh, and I just remember in that moment, I, I, th- I popped up off the couch, I threw off my blanket and I ran to the kitchen and I told my mom, of course she had heard this a thousand times before, mom, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. And so she keeps scrubbing the dishes. She doesn't really look up. She's, you know, what is it now? Like, you want to be uh, a bungee jumper, a uh, thrill seeker, you know. Um, and I said, you know, I, I want to be a youth pastor. And she stopped what she was doing. She stopped washing the dishes. And she looked at me square in the face again. And she said, I think that's a great idea. Uh, it just made sense. It just clicked, you know, for me in, in my context, um, being someone who, who, you know, believes in Jesus and, and has a relationship with Jesus. And, and that's not everybody's path, but it was mine. And um, I really felt like that was God calling me to something. It made sense. It, I wanted to do for other teenagers because being a teen is, is rough and it often is confusing and it just kind of sucks. And And I wanted to do for other teenagers what I felt like uh, adults who weren't my parents, cho- who chose to care about me and and chose to um, teach me that I mattered and that I had purpose and that I was loved. I wanted to do that for other people, and I wanted to ha- I wanted to help Jesus make sense to people, and I wanted to help give people the opportunities to encounter Jesus, not religion, not not what other people say about Jesus, but but actually Jesus. Um, and there's a component of it. I just, I never wanted to grow up. I wanted to play dodgeball for the rest of my life and have fun and laugh um, and enjoy that part of who God was, um, the fun, the fun part. And so in high school, I started volunteering with my, the middle school youth group. Um, and I pursued that. I pursued that uh, in the summers. I worked with a camp. Uh, when I got into college, I majored in youth ministry, uh, then did a bunch of internships over the course of, of the summers in college and did a two-year internship out in Washington State once I graduated. That was always the path. That was always the calling, except by the time I got to those two years, I felt like I'd been in it a long time and volunteering or, or doing an internship, and I was just kind of starting to get burned out, wondering if there was other things that I could do and still do youth ministry and and um, had, uh, by chance or by God's good graces, a lot of our volunteers were first responders, which works out really well when you work with teenagers and uh, they break themselves and, and do stupid stuff all the time. So um, started getting really connected with them and I started, I got this, this, this itch for being a first responder again. And, and um, once the two-year internship was over, I went back home to Rhode Island and uh, was looking for another church job and wasn't really finding anything. I decided to take an EMT class because my mom wasn't going to let me be a police officer. I was, I was 25, but my mom, my mommy wasn't going to let me be a police officer. Um, so yeah, I took an EMT class and by the time I got certified, I'd actually gotten a job at a church in Connecticut. Um, and there's a lot more volunteer fire departments out there. So I hopped on a volunteer fire department um, did that while I was working full time at a church uh, with teenagers, and uh, we had some first responder volunteers there as well. And two of them happened to be one of them was the chief of a police local police department, and the other one was a uh, an officer in the traffic division at that same department. And I go on ride alongs all the time um, 
for fun. And it was fun. It was, it was really interesting. Um, started to get feeling a lot of unrest with, with my position in the church and feeling like I was robbed as, as a teenager and uh, as a college student of that, that wrestling of what do I want to do and exploring different things because I always knew. Um, and so I started to wrestle and I really, I felt like I took a, a lot of backward steps um, and I was kind of getting angry with, with all of it. So I just, I decided I was going to pursue law enforcement and I was kind of, I kind of said to God, you know what, I'm going to do this whether you want it or not. And I assume that if you don't want it, you'll just stop me. Meanwhile, God's going, no, it's not your calling, but at some point you're going to have to reckon with whatever is going on inside of you. I'll be here since you're doing your own thing. If you need me, let me know. Um, And doors just opened for law enforcement. So I kind of took that as like the divine, like, all right, go for it. (laughs) Because he knows what's down the pike. So... It's not his problem. It's my problem. Um, so yeah, so I got I got on with that department and um, quit my job at the church and, and went to the police academy and you know one one tasing episode and getting shot and paint bullet and getting pepper sprayed later. Next thing I knew, I was I was on the street for a few months doing my field training and it wasn't for me. I left. I was unemployed for a while. I worked at Starbucks. I did videography. I had always been into video and stuff, so I did wedding videography for a while. And and then I got the job at Grace Chapel part-time, so I, I went back to EMS working with an ambulance company. Um, I had some back problems that kind of followed me um, since Washington State, my internship there, and so that kind of reared its ugly head again, so I had to quit that, and I went back to Starbucks, which I hated profoundly um so yeah then I ended up full-time at Foxborough so here we are so when you were a kid and you were watching all of these kind of military and action and, and first responder themed shows was that common among your peers no they they had no idea uh what those shows even were but I would I would tape them on VHS if we were gone. What what was compelling about those shows for you, or or what is compelling still about those shows for well, you? Well, and so so in in my reflecting as I kind of moved both into and out of law enforcement and and being an EMS, it I told my students when I when I left youth group and I still volunteered, so I was still around because um, they were still important to me and those relationships were still important to me. But what I told them was like, guys. I'm basically doing the same thing. I'm just armed. But it, it, it was in many ways youth ministry, uh, working with teenagers, and for all the reasons why I wanted to do it and in the capacity that I, that I did it, um, the drive was still the same. My face, whenever sirens went by, my face was plastered against the window, not just because I wanted to see what was happening, but because I wanted to be there in someone's worst moment to remind them that it's not their only moment. And I think that's a lot of what youth ministry is. It's it's especially for teenagers who who only see so far in in their life and only have so much perspective in their life um, at such a young age. When everything feels critical, 
um, and like the end of the world. It's, it's reminding them that this, this may be a bad moment. I can't, I can't qualify this moment for you. I can't tell you what it is or what it could be or what it will be one day. Um, but this is not your only moment and this moment will not sum you up as a person. And I think it's the same thing in EMS when, you know, I, um, uh, there was a girl who she wanted to beat the red light and she got T-boned by a, a tow truck. Um, it took us 45 minutes for us to get her out. And I was the one, cause I was the smallest person on the crew. <laughs> um, at the time I was the one to crawl into the car with her and hold her head and check for, for serious wounds. And, and I, so I was in the car with her while they tore the roof off of the car. I sat there with her for 45 minutes, 17 years old to try and, and remind her that, hey, this isn't, this isn't your only moment. Um, there's gonna be moments that, that follow this one. And so, yeah, I think it was the same, it's the same thing. I just really love meeting people in their worst moments. Um, so, yeah. So in the age of, of COVID, um, what does it look like to be ministering to students and teenagers in what I assume is just overwhelmingly a, a purely virtual arrangement are teenagers quick to settle into an all digital routine or you is there something they would be. <laughs> you would think they would be uh, alas but yeah they're, they're kind of all over the place so yeah we're about down to one third of our group um but it's great because we're, we're able to kind of dig a little deeper with them and and kind of challenge them a little bit more and and um support them a little bit more. I think they're more willing to kind of let us in into their world a little bit and into their thoughts as they kind of work through them and gain the tools to work through them. How do teenagers think about their lives five, 10, 20 years down the road? Where do you see yourself? You know, what do you want to do with your life? Who do you want to be? Like, what is, what is that, that, question of identity and purpose and meaning look like to your average 17 year old? Most of them don't have a clue. That's okay. You know, yeah, they just don't have a clue. I think they've got ideas of, you know, some things they'd like to do. And you've got kids who, you know, I've, I've got a student who MIT has been the goal since I've known him. And he started coming in sixth grade. He's going into ninth grade now. And uh, for the longest time, that was, you know, I think, but that was reflective of him trying on an identity. And that's all we, you know, that's all we do when we're teenagers. We're trying on different identities, um, trying stuff out to find out what we resonate with. I think we, as teenagers, we try on identities. As adults, we try on careers um, to kind of find out what, what resonates, where, and, and what resonates in what seasons. He could not stop talking about MIT for the longest time. I don't, I don't think he's mentioned it, maybe six months to a year. Um, so he's kind of shifted and that was, that was a season for whatever reason that, that MIT dream meant a lot to him in that season. By and large, they just don't have a clue. Um, they've got little, they've got dreams here and there. Um, you know, what, what we end up doing is, is just kind of, uh, trying to, trying to identify the things that they're good at, trying to identify the things that, that we see light them up that they might not perceive, um, whether it's, Hey, when you're with little kids, bro, you're a different person. 
man, you light up and, and I, you're more outgoing and man, they're locked into you. Do you realize how good you are with little kids? And that's like brand new information because they're just doing, they're just babysitting, you know, whatever. But, um, so I think it's, it's more of a discovery time for them and just trying on different hats. I love that concept that, you know, as, as teenagers, we, we play with identity and, and as adults, we, we sort of play with, with careers. How do you know when something is or is not resonating for you in a career? Maybe, maybe specifically for your own experience, but then just thoughts in general. Like what, is, what does it look like and feel like when things are really jiving and you're firing in all cylinders and you know that like this is the path? Or conversely, what does it feel like when you just have that pit in your stomach that this is not the right path for me? Yeah. Oh, man, that pit. Yeah. You know what? Law enforcement. And so, so I was in the field for about, for about three months. And so your field training ends with that department, your field training ended at four months and then you were on your, on your own. Those three months were, were tough. Um, it was like, I was suffocating. There were moments, like when I went on ride-alongs, there were things about the job that I loved. I loved meeting people in their mess. Um, I, it's funny. I think if if the job that you're in, if you can stand the paperwork, this you know the stuff that you get really get paid to do, because the other stuff you you know you won't tell them this, but you wouldn't have to pay me to do some of the stuff that I, I had to do. You definitely have to pay me to do the paperwork, but I'll do the other stuff. I would do the other stuff for free. Um, if you can stand to do the paperwork uh, for the job that you're in, then you're you're probably in a good you're probably in a good spot. I think, and it's and it's an an understatement to say that it was like just the paperwork that that made law enforcement difficult. I just I don't think it was the right fit for me um, on a lot of levels. I think uh, it wasn't how my brain worked. It wasn't how I was wired. Um, I thought the fact that I think I was relationally exhausted with ministry, so I kind of liked the idea that I could help someone and then I wouldn't have to follow up with them. <laughs> that sounds awful to say, but I'm like, I just want to help you and say goodbye. Um, and I think that ultimately that just wasn't, I wanted to follow it through. I, I, I'm the type of person, I know this now, I'm the type of person that it's not enough for me to put a Band-Aid on. I want to solve the problem. It, it, it's not enough for me to keep picking up the... There, were, there was this call. We, we just knew when I was a volunteer EM, EMT, there was this call for a house we would get. And every time the, the call for this house came up, it, everybody would roll their eyes. Because this, you know, uh, was this uh, young woman, an, a, an adult, who still living with uh, her parents, and she was an alcoholic. And her parents didn't know what to do with her. They loved her. And if they didn't take her in, she'd be homeless. But she just couldn't help herself or wasn't ready to help herself. And so, you know, we would take her to the hospital. She would ask for some Purell before she left. Um, they'd supply her up, and she'd drink that. Then we'd be right back there in an hour to go get her again. And that really frustrated me because... To take her twice in the same night for the same thing, it was like, I want to help. There's something more going on here. I wish I could help you with that. And it was the same thing in law enforcement. It was the same thing when I was working with an ambulance company in Boston. 
uh, I wanted to help people with the reason why they got there, not the symptoms of, of what they were, how they were behaving or, or what they were going through. Um, so it just wasn't, it wasn't the right fit for me. And <laughs> my mom told me that when I was, when I quit, uh, when I walked away from law enforcement, my mom was like, I'm not surprised. Why that? Why is that? She said, um, Blair, the first sentence out of your mouth was, you're not the boss of me. So it's no surprise to me that taking orders and not knowing where that order was coming from or, and it wasn't owed to you. It wasn't, I, if I asked why, 10 push-ups, like, I, I, how dare you? You're, you're questioning authority. I'm not questioning. I just want to, if I have the context, I love context. If I have context, I know how to move forward. Um, but yeah, no, I don't do well just taking blind orders from someone. So that should have been my first, my first clue. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it just wasn't, it wasn't the way my mind worked. How does faith couple with your distaste for taking (laughs) orders without context? (laughs) I had various experiences where I kind of butted heads with, with, my superiors at various churches and various positions with here and, and, and with other, you know, certain supervisors in the past, when our philosophies of, of, in this case, ministry kind of lined up and our, and our approaches to things were complementary, not necessarily the same, but they were complementary and we were both headed in the same direction. It didn't feel ever like I was taking an order from someone. It felt like Someone who's headed in the same direction as me, somebody who is headed there at the same speed I'm headed there, but with a little bit more experience under their belt, is showing me something about where I'm headed. And so it just felt like I would have made that same, you know, a little arrogant. I would have made that same decision if I had more time. Um, so that maybe is kind of how it feels. And I think it, it's kind of the way it feels, you know, and for me personally, and as a, as a, as a Protestant Christian, it, I think that's, and that's how it's talked about in, in the Bible. It's not God's will imposed upon us. Ideally, what, what God is looking for, I mean, what God is looking, the whole story of the Bible can be summed up in, in one sentence. It's the story of God's effort to be reunited with his people. Unity has always been God's goal. The problem with humanity was that we decided we knew better and, and we separated ourselves from the source of all life, of all love. Um, and, and God's efforts all throughout Scripture has been one of wanting to reunite with, with humanity. And so it's not a matter of God's will being imposed on me. It's a matter of if, if, I'm, if I'm making an effort and being influenced by God in such a way that, that I kind of see what He sees and I'm, head, I'm trying to head in the direction He's headed in, then, yeah, a, kind of a call from God, if you will, is, is like, I would have gotten there eventually. Um, I want to hop on this train because it's headed in the direction um, that I may not always like, I may not always be comfortable, I may not always agree with it, but it's, it's, it's where my life is headed. It's, it's where I, I experience fulfillment. It's where I thrive. It's where it fills me up in such a way that I can pour out for other people. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I guess it never felt like I was following orders so much as I was just kind of following a natural, a natural path that I, I may or may not have ended on eventually, or, or may have decided I, I thought I knew better and, and chose a different path, but yeah. 
When you were working as an EMT and you were responding to people in crisis, um, were you aware of essentially ministering to people in a time mm-hmm. of great anxiety and stress and, and physical harm? Were you aware of ministering to them? Were you oh, yeah. intentional about trying to keep a certain distinction between your professional mm-hmm. role and, and something perhaps more spiritual? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was very aware that they, because oftentimes it was just me and them in the back. Um, so yeah, I was very aware of those opportunities that I had, you know, they're trapped. They can't go anywhere. You're mine for, you know, the 45 minute drive or the 20 minute drive to the hospital. Um, but no, I, I, if, if someone asked me, because it would often be that somebody would ask me if I was a Christian or if I knew Jesus, and it would, they would actually sometimes try to, to preach to me or, or try to reach out to me in that way. Um, I would, I would usually wouldn't bring up, I don't, know, I don't think I ever brought up Jesus if they didn't bring him up first. Wherever you stand, wherever they stood with Jesus, it's not my decision to make for them. It wasn't mine, mine to impose on them. But wherever they stood with Jesus, the truth, the truth remained. They had purpose, they had value, and they belonged. And especially for the patients, like, like that um, young woman who, who wasn't an alcoholic or really struggled with an addiction to alcohol, um, I'd like to see, when I looked at her, man, when I looked at her, and it was funny too because when we when we went down, so the basement was hers, and it was disgusting. You couldn't see the floor. It was not just dirty clothes, but it was um, items, clothing, trash, all with some kind of fluid, bodily fluid, somewhere on something. Um, her her bed with the stains and the smell and everything. It was just. And by and large, the people I worked with were disgusted by her. But gosh, when I had her in the back of that ambulance, just me and her, oh man, she, I, my heart broke for her. She mattered. She had, she, she has talents. She has gifts. She has passions. She's a person. There's a person behind that alcoholic. And there's a person wanting to, th- we were designed to thrive and and she wasn't and she was lost and she was swimming in in something she just couldn't get herself out of and I really struggled with with I wanted to say something to her I didn't just want to be someone else who just silently sat in the back with her trying to hold their note and you try to not smell um try not to breathe the air she breathed for the ride to the hospital and then drop her off and walk away for what was for her the you know the fifteenth trip that month, um, and the only thing I could do was hold her hand and tell her, "Hey, look, I know I don't know you. I know I don't know your story, and I know I have zero authority in your life. I don't have to, but I I do want to say that you matter." And so that's how it would often go in the in the back of the ambulance or. I don't. I didn't have that opportunity a whole lot with, in law enforcement. I usually had because I was um, in training. I always had a training officer with me, and so just 
there were very few moments that felt intimate enough where I could kind of open up that way with someone and, and just try to remind them that they mattered. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was always, I, I always saw the ministry opportunity, never as, never as a Bible bashing, uh, gospel toting, uh, self-righteous person, but, but trying to see that as, you know, what if, what if I was sitting there? Thanks for listening. Escape of Velocity is hosted and produced by me, Kevin Sawyer, and presented by Modern Word Shop. Modern Word Shop helps startups and entrepreneurs make their words work harder through a full range of writing and editing services. www.modernwordshop.com. And yes, that's Word Shop with a D. I hope you're feeling more inspired to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. Until next time, aim high and don't let gravity stop you. Thank you.